Welcome to the Pubcast, your inside look at electronic publishing. From ebooks to websites to podcasts and more, join us as we interview the professionals on the cutting edge of publishing. Welcome to the Pubcast. I'm Lewis Rowe, and tonight I'm speaking with Delany Martinez, a freelance online content writer from North Carolina. Hello. Hi. So do you want to start off by telling us a little bit about the world of online content production? Um, when we think of digital publishing, we tend to think about ebooks and stuff like that, but um, anything we read online has been published electronically. So is your experience strictly web-based? Um, and what have you found that really defines that area of publishing? Um, pretty much everything I've ever published in the in the broad sense of the term has has pretty much been online with the exception of one fly-by-night poetry, you know, puts everybody in the anthology and charges their parents $800 for said anthology <laughs> kind of thing back when I was in high school. But um, ever since then, I've been writing online. Uh, significantly cheaper to do, by the way. <laughs> um, I, uh, I started out in product descriptions, and I kind of branched out to articles from there. Uh, basically, what I write uh, tends to be the things that appear in online catalogs, uh, product descriptions, little blurbs to get people to click other links, um, articles to help companies place a little bit higher in Google, and I have written about pretty much anything you could possibly imagine. <laughs> right now, I've uh, my workload is tossed up between uh, locket inclusions, like for Origami Owl, a uh, bunch of specialty wooden kitchenware and candles that's <laughs> that's what All this right. is brought so. <laughs> do you find that that stuff is sort of defined by like the season or does it fluctuate do you come back to the same clients over time um i have one client that i work with pretty steadily uh and that's all like the Tupperware parties, you know, this person starts out and then they get a team of people who also sell the same stuff and they all sell it in a living room. And that's pretty much all year round, though it does tend to pick up a little bit about October, November is when the smart retailers start kind of, you know, I, I call it skating backwards, you know, like when you're watching the Olympics and you can see the person skating backwards and everybody knows they're going to do a turn in the air. And um, <laughs> so they start they start skating backwards about October and you can tell they're doing the the rally up for the December season. Um, but other than that, the trends define a lot of what I write. You know, if uh, this hot celebrity was wearing a latex bracelet this week, I can pretty much be assured that there's going to be latex bracelet jobs somewhere on one of the freelance job sites that I go on. But other than that, people need to sell stuff. People want to buy stuff and they need somebody to kind of grease the in-between. And I'm, I'm the gear that keeps that running. <laughs> Well, that's a pretty critical gear. Yep. Um, you mentioned a couple of seconds ago, actually, that you write for a few different um, freelance writing websites. So I just wanted to ask you about that, too. So I know that you do work for Writer Access, a Boston-based inbound marketing company, but um, you also take on your own clients independently, and perhaps you write for other companies like Writer Access. So I want to know a little bit more about that. Sure. Um, well, uh, basically, there's a few different kinds of sites. Uh, I detail some of them on... Uh, I have a blog that kind of helps newer freelance writers get into the business. Um, there are the list sites, which uh, kind of gather up from all the clients, and they act as a middleman. And then they just put out open lists of work for writers to pick from once they pass like the entrance exam for that particular site. 
Um, there are bid sites, uh, bid sites like uh, freelancer.com and odesk.com, which is where somebody will have a sort of like reverse eBay. Well, I guess it's sort of exactly like eBay. Um, <laughs> they'll have a job and then I have to convince them through a combination of writing why I'm awesome and having a decent price, why they should choose me for that particular job. Those are really competitive and people kind of get mouth frothy. So I tend to avoid them more often than not. And one of the biggest challenges uh, with the bidding sites uh, for U.S.-based freelancers is a lot of foreign competition. Um, a lot of the really poor writing online is done because uh, marketers choose bargain basement writers and the English is like their second to fourth language and it, they don't have a good grasp of the turns of phrase that we use. And sometimes they either try and translate it literally or they are missing the kind of smooth transition phrases that identify writing as coming from an American writer. And uh, I tell my clients that a good 80% of my work is fixing what foreign writers have written originally. Um, but a lot of us tend to, a lot of the freelance writing world tends to stay off of those bidding sites, at least initially, because they can be kind of scary because there's, you know, 80 bids from folks not in the U.S. and it can be very intimidating. Um, but sites like Writer Access, um, I don't tend to do text broker as often because some of the sites like Writer Access, the, the list sites, they have very low pay. So it's, it's a constant jockeying of who's going to pay me a living wage versus how much competition there is versus what the expectations are and if they take troublesome clients. It's, it's kind of like trying to not only hit a moving target, but hit like a whole field of moving targets. <laughs> so... So do you prefer jobs that you are able to sort of do as an independent contractor, most of all, because you get to set your own terms or what about? I, I personally, some, some folks like the long contracts where it's a, a client will say, I want uh, 20 articles on dental practices every single week for time immemorial. And they like those because it, it is a steady income. But I'll tell you what, after about a month of writing about dental stuff, you're like, I have had enough of this and you're seeing teeth <laughs> in your sleep. And I, I like kind of grabbing I'll, like the one long-term client I have where I write a lot of the Tupperware party type stuff. It changes often enough that it keeps me interested. Um, I like writing about different stuff every week. I like to kind of keep my mind active, keep moving because – you know, creativity is a well, and you can run out. You can hit bottom, and you're like, I never want to know anything about dentistry <laughs> again. And so I, I've written – I love the breadth of stuff that I've, I've been able to write for. I, I know things about things. I know how to care for, you know, wooden salad bowls, and I know how to concoct home remedies to get ticks off your dog. I know the weirdest things, and I've gotten really, really good at Jeopardy. That's <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So I, I prefer to do one-offs and or a series of one-offs for a single client as opposed to an ongoing every week kind of thing. But there are other freelance writers that prefer contracts because it's steady work. It, it all depends on where your strengths are and if you can just pull stuff about dentistry out of your backside. You know, <laughs> that's kind of where it comes from. When you first started doing freelance online stuff, did you find the SEO stuff difficult to pick up on? Because it's one thing to be writing, you know, poetry or fiction in high school, but then when you start writing for a search engine, did that take a while? Was there a learning curve? See, it's... <laughs> and I don't, I don't know how far this podcast is going to go. Um, I, I think... 
kind of sometimes think that SEO is like the emperor's clothes, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, I, I think there's a lot of people out there that are like, uh, you know, I'm an SEO, a, a friend of mine called themselves an SEO expert, and I'm just looking at them like, I don't even think you know what that means. And they're like, <laughs> he's like, they don't know either. And I was like, really? And I started I started putting SEO in my skill set and it kind of like, you know, testing the waters, you know, and, you know, and I got picked up by people that are looking for SEO and I turned in uh, kind of the way I'd always been writing and they're like, oh, this is great. I'm, I'm hiring Google. And I was like, guess I'm good at SEO. Okay. <laughs> and I mean, honestly, that's, that's like straight, straight on us, like straight on the table. I, I, that's what I did. I, I kind of literally, what do they call it? Fake it till you make it. Um, I figured out that, uh, you know, I, d- I did do some reading. It's not like I did this all off the cuff. I, I went I went to Barnes & Noble for a few intensive days and fueled by lattes. I, I poured through some books. And I don't think the book writers knew what the hell they were talking about either, personally. Um, but I figured out that SEO meant that Google likes to see certain terms in a certain concentration, and that's it. And don't go above that concentration because then you're in big trouble. You can go below it and you just won't be as effective. But if you go above it, you're in big trouble. So, um, you know, this was right around the time when they were really cracking down on uh, keyword spamming, which is when you take a keyword, say I wanted like lipstick was my keyword and I was writing for a cosmetic company. I'd use the word lipstick like five times in a sentence back before they cracked down. I didn't, but people would. Um until it was like completely nonsensical and they would rank, they'd get high on Google for lipstick, but it would be just this nonsense craziness. And sometimes it didn't even have to do with lipstick. They were selling like stock options. They just wanted to get you on the page. Um, but Google cracked down on that. And I, somewhere along the line, the, the 1.7% got stuck in my head and there are online tools that'll tell you when you put paste a block of uh, text in there, how many times a keyword comes up and even pull out and tell you what the highest, used word in that other than like the and 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 all that um with the highest used word in that block of text is and it'll tell you percentage wise how much it appears in the text the the sweet spot is one instance of the keyword or phrase about every 100 to 150 words thereabouts and there is some inherent knowledge of you know going back and forth i can tweak it's i have expertise because i've been doing this for years now and it's just that i happen to get expertise by saying i had expertise and um, I'm good at it now. You know, I, I feel I feel a little bad in the beginning that I was kind of like, yeah, I totally know SEO. And, and I'm like furiously reading Google on the slide, like, OK, OK, what the hell is SEO? Um, but, yeah, that's honestly, that's what SEO comes down to. It's common sense. It's, you know, you got to put yourself for a second, take yourself out of the fact that you're working for a client and say, OK, I just broke a tooth. What am I going to type in my browser bar? I live in this town. I just broke a tooth. What am I going to type in to be like, holy crap, somebody needs to fix my tooth. Um, and, and that's what I use because, you know, I'm a person. I search on Google. I'm, I'm the target market, whether, you know, whether I'm in that city or not. I could be in that city. I could be like anyone else in that city. What am I going to look for? And that's what I think of when I do SEO. Um, some people like totally freaking overthink it. <laughs> and I think that's the problem is, is they – overthink seo and really it's very simple because google is geared to appeal to everybody they're not geared they have crazy algorithms behind the scenes but at the end of the day they just you know they they want simple folk like me to be able to find exactly what they're looking for and i can do that i can write to that (laughs) which is what i do 
Do you ever, so do you find yourself not really trying to keep up with, I mean, Google, I feel like it's always rolling out a new oh, God, search just, engine thing. Are we on Hummingbird now? I don't know. I don't know. It's like Aardvark, <laughs> you know, Honey Badger. I don't even know. What, <laughs> basically, I, you can get in the fray, you can wait in there, or you can stand the outskirts and let the people that are prone to, you know, hysterical histronics tell you everything you need to know it's it's sort of like the little bar that goes under cnn you know like today in yemen you know but you just listen to people on the board like oh my god this is so crazy this is terrible ah. and it's like okay noted 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 and and honestly through their their crazy rants you notice trends and you're like okay well that's something i need to pay attention to because three crazy people have mentioned that um and you know they're not that they're crazy they just tend to be more outspoken than me which is hard to do um but you you pick up on that, and yeah, I could I could delve it. Sometimes I'll usually when they do a, a new update, I'll I'll grab an article or two and read it just so I'm like, okay, I'm not going to be totally flat footed on this. But it's really easy to psych yourself out, and all of a sudden the 400 words on you know plumbing repair in Duluth, Iowa, that you could you know just write blindfolded yesterday, all of a sudden becomes this you know nerve wracking palm sweating thing if you get too involved in it. So I, I try and take what I need out of each update and say, okay, this is what I have to watch out for. This is what I shouldn't do. But I keep the same uh, structure for, for my writing that I always have. Just, you know, write about it, add value, don't repeat yourself. And I use the same framework for just about everything. And do you find that clients are usually like willing to follow your lead because when you were mentioning people who are freaking out about the algorithms, I feel like clients might be the ones who are doing that. No, it's clients. Clients are the people who read the hell out of WebMD and go into the doctor. I mean, it's, they, they're really concerned. They're concerned about their own health and they really genuinely think they have this problem. And what they're looking for is someone in a lab coat going, Hey, there's no need to panic. It's chill. We're going to do a couple of pokes and figure out what's wrong with you, and we're going to fix it. So just take a deep breath. Here's an inhaler. Calm down. And most of the time, clients are looking for a little panic management because they're, you know, of course Google wants to look important, and they talk about this and this and that, and, you know, oh, we just did this. We just rolled out that. And they, they want to keep themselves relevant, and it, that's hard to do when you're the king of search because, you know, it's inherently biased. Um but they make it out to be this big deal and you know, the clients are like, Oh God, it's a big deal. And, and on the backside, we're all like, this is exactly like penguin or artwork or whatever just came out. It just happens that they did this and they, you know, they tank this site because that site was full of crap <laughs> and it's not really a big deal. The, the clients are just, they're looking for a little handholding and I'm happy to give it to them. And I'm, you know, and when I'm writing too, even if it's not my business, I'll, you know, I'm hired to write an article, but I'm going on that person's site. I'll be like, hey, just so you know, your navigation doesn't work on this page or this image is broken. And I'll tell them that and they appreciate that. But I also have to make clear that I don't do images or site building because that's a, that's a big pitfall of what freelance writing is, is they think, oh, well, you can freelance write. You must be able to design. I, I can't even do stick figures in Microsoft Paint. And I'm not afraid to say it. But, um, yeah, no, they're just, you know, the clients, they, they do tend to freak out a little bit, especially the ones that aren't very well versed in SEO. But they're coming to us because they don't know what the heck they're doing as far as content most of the time. Some of them do, but a lot of them don't. They couldn't, they can't write their way out of a wet paper bag and they need some help. And, you know, I'm happy to give it to them because uh, I, I do want every one of my clients to succeed. I feel very strongly about that. 
Mm-hmm. And that's got me interested more in just your experience with the writer-client relationship, because, like, having interned at Writer Access, I've had to, you know, see a little bit of that, and some, like, sometimes clients are really good at communicating what they want from a freelancer, sometimes they're not. Do you feel like there are certain patterns you've detected, and have you ever run into any conflicts with a client? Um, You don't have to be super specific. Oh, well, this one guy, no, um, (laughs) I have... I have learned it's it's really not that different than dating. I use dating a lot as a as a comparison tool because I feel like everybody kind of gets that. Um, dating is also hard. <laughs> yeah, dating is super hard. Um, I'm married now, so I'm done with that. Thank God. Uh, but you have to you learn very quickly and very painfully that you have to set boundaries. <laughs> Um, you know, it's, if you go out to dinner with someone and you're like, well, that was a nice night. And all of a sudden they're walking into your apartment. You're like, whoa, wait, wait, no, no, you need to leave. You don't live here. And that's, you know, I, I have, <laughs> I learned the hard way never to give clients my home number ever. Um, because, uh, apparently when you need uh content written, uh, time zones don't exist. And being in North Carolina and having some California clients that I had to do some education on the fly with that one. Um, the less they know how to get a hold of you outside of email, the better. Um, you know, you can always shut down Skype if, if you know, if you're going to take a bath or you're going to eat dinner, God damn it, you're going to take a bath or eat dinner. Um, you're not a doctor. Uh, you do not have to be on call. Uh, no, no you know, text-based emergency is going to arise that someone will live or die based on whether you write 400 words on plumbing in Duluth, Iowa. Um, you know, so a lot of the stuff is time-sensitive to a, to a point. Obviously, there's deadlines and things like that. But, you know, you have to set boundaries. That's that's the very first thing you have to do because people just love busting through them and you got to make sure they're strong. Um, you have to be clear in your communications. You have to explain to them exactly what you are willing to do and what you're not willing to do. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of clients get this, uh, oh, there's a word for it, a term for it. I can't, I can't remember at the moment, but, uh, seep, like, uh, I think it's scope creep. That's the word for it. That's the professional, what is it? quote unquote, term. <laughs> scope creep. It is when, you know, say you're my client and you hired me to do 500 words on plumbing in Duluth, Iowa. And I do the 500 words and be like, here you go. And you're like, oh, this is awesome. Could you um, also write my meta tags? And I'm like, okay. And it doesn't take me that long. It's not a big deal. And, oh, yeah, this is awesome. You are so cool. Can you do a Twitter update for me too? It usually, it starts with like a compliment. And then if you did not, if you're like, well, no, I, I, you know, you're going to have to do another order if you want that. And be like, you know, oh, well, I see you don't care about the quality of your work. And then they move into the insulting. It's like negging, you know, that, <laughs> you know, the, the, what do they call them? The, the pickup masters, the hookup guys, you know, they're like supposed to give them a negative, negative compliment. Like, you know, oh, you know, that shirt looks great on you. You, you barely look fat, you know, that kind of thing. And they, they start getting into that. I mean, oh, no. it's, it's really <laughs> terrible. Not not all of them are like this. This is just a you know a handful of clients, but it's enough that you'll lose sleep over it. Um, so you you have to put up boundaries. Um, you have to communicate clearly. Do not be afraid to go 
telling mama, you know, if you're working for a site, you go to the help desk and be like, hey, guys, this guy is crazy. I, he might be on some illicit substances. I need your help. Um, it, it, you have to make sure, obviously, that you're not, you know, I don't like the way he, you know, said this particular word. You know, you got to make sure it's of of significant weight to go to the help desk and bother them with it. But with the list sites, which is the ones that I typically work with, which is writer access, text broker, that sort of thing, they're taking a, anywhere from like usually 20 to up to 50% of what you make on each job in exchange for being the middleman. And it took me a while not to feel guilty going to them, but I'm like, well, I'm literally paying them for their help. I shouldn't feel guilty. You know, so I don't bother them for every little thing, but if I'm having trouble, if I if I've got a twist in my gut and I don't I know that this scope creep is coming up or this person's gonna be, you know, crazy irrational, I'll go to them, I'll be like, Hey, just so you know, here's my where I'm at. This is what the clients asked for. I feel like this is inappropriate or beyond the scope of what we agreed to, or I feel like I did a good job and they're trying to get work for free. Because that'll happen a lot too with some of the more unscrupulous clients. They'll get the the work from you and be like, "Well, it's great, but could you just rewrite the entire thing?" <laughs> you know. So you uh, problem clients, you, you got to nip it in the bud. If you let it go on for too long, it's really hard to shut down. Um, and don't be afraid to ask for help. Is what I would say. Wow, I hadn't realized. Like, I mean, I I thought about the difficulties that clients presented, but that just explains so much more. <laughs> um, so, would you certainly recommend to freelancers? Because I don't know, I just I feel like most people my age, anyways, don't even really think about content writing as a path, and when they do, they don't even think about freelance writing for another company that can protect them. It's sort of like. It's sort of like working for a temp agency. Like you're not an employee of that place. You're just there and you'll do a good job while you're there, but you know where your loyalties lie and that's with your temp agency. Um, having a go-between, having a buffer, it it has a lot of benefits. And some people are like, oh, well, you just get your own clients and you get to keep all of it. Um a lot of the times the clients are in escrow on those sites, which means that they have to pay ahead of time and then the site holds the money. So they can't, uh, take my work and run with it and go because every article uh, it's kind of archaic and probably misogynistic but I describe it as having a Google virginity um, once it gets out on the web that's it there's there's no like you know putting that particular cat back in the box if somebody takes an article that I wrote and puts it out on the web there are sites where you can sell pre-written articles constantcontent.com is the one that I, I use most often um, you, uh, where you take pre-written articles and you can put them up for sale and then people looking for, you know, a plumbing article, or whatever, they'll buy it cause it's already pre-written. They don't have to wait for it. Um, but once that article hits Google, you know, gets posted on the internet anywhere, it could be like the dinkiest little blog, the Google virginity is wrecked and you can't resell it because constant content won't take anything that's already been published it, or nor will any other place, any reputable place that, that sells articles. So, um, you know, the middlemen, the sites like Writer Access and, and uh, I, I know there's a, I want to say Media Piston, but Media Piston shut down very suddenly. So Writer Access has kind of been like my go-to. Um, they protect you because they hold the money in escrow. They act as a go-between between you and, and the clients, which, you know, 80, 90% of the time you don't need help, but it's nice in that 10% because whew, sometimes it gets really out of hand without help. Um, you get a designated payday. 
you know you're getting paid on Friday. I have it up on my calendar, my whiteboard behind me, you know, payday, and I, and I know exactly how much I'm getting. Once the article is accepted, it's that payment's locked in. There's no reason I won't get that payment, which is nice. So I know exactly how much I'm going to make. The payday is always solid unless there's some craziness with PayPal, which PayPal throws a wrench into the mix every once in a while to keep us faithful, I guess. Um, you know, there's a lot of benefits to it. There's a phone number I can call if I'm having issues, if I say, hey, um, I know on sites like Writer Access as opposed to the bid sites that are kind of like a free-for-all, um, everybody on Writer Access has to be, I believe, has to be based in the United States. So I know that I'm around contemporaries. I know that everybody around me understands what I'm saying and, you know, we're all kind of on the same level. Um, when you have entrance exams like that, the payment scale tends to be fair because to us, uh, you know, a living, well, I say living wage and it's min- minimum wage, let's say minimum wage, um, is a certain amount. So everything is kind of subconsciously based on that. You know, no person, no reasonable client, I should say, is going to expect you to write a thousand word article for a dollar because that's, that's not a living wage. Um, but on the bid sites overseas, you know, say in India or Pakistan or Kenya, you know, a dollar translated might be a whole lot of money. That might be groceries for the week or whatever. Um, so the price gets artificially lowered because that amount of pay is cool for them, but it's terrible for us. So what it does is skew the entire, you know, like people that are looking to to hire people on the site, they'll go through and be like, oh, well, I can get a thousand word article for a buck. Look at this guy. Um, so it makes it a very inhospitable environment for American writers that need to make X amount of money. Um, but with writer access, when you know all the writers are American, no client's going to go through and, and be like, oh, a thousand words for a dollar. You know, th- there's sort of like an artificial floor that, that gets put in, even if there isn't an actual stated floor. It's, the payment's usually not going to dip below that. Do you find yourself pretty comfortable making a living as a freelance writer? I know that a lot of people do it differently. Like some writers also have like a day job. Some writers are able to support themselves and their family just through freelance writing. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I could, (laughs) I, I, you know, that is, that is in, in the realm of possibility. I could do that. I have enough on my plate right now. Like as far as like lined up in my, in my jobs, between my clients, between writer access, between, you know, some private clients that I have, I have enough that I could pay all my bills and my rent. Uh, it's a matter of how much I want to tax myself. Um, I like a lot of creative people. I, I have brain issues. I have, I have mental issues. Um, and I am uh, manic depressive and I'm, I'm not afraid to put it out there. Uh, I, I tend to write in manic fits and I will write a lot of stuff in a very short period of time. Uh, but then, you know, I'll, I'll hit a low for two, three days and I'll have to kind of step away from it because I'll find myself writing like the same sentence, like three, you know, like when you read the same sentence in a book, you're like, oh, okay, I'm burnt out. I need to, you know, and if I could sustain that level and some people are fully capable of it, they're very responsible adults and they're totally chill with it. Um, I don't, I don't happen to be one of them yet. I'm working on it. Um, but I, I, balance my time between a part-time job three days a week. I am unfortunately a permanent temp. It's, I didn't even know that existed until I started working there. 
It, I, I work three days a week. I get really, really crappy health insurance through my temp agency, but it's enough to keep me going. All right. It looks um, like something. It's something. And I, and I make, that's a steady income to kind of, it's not enough to pay all my bills, but it's enough that I have a steady income. So if there's a slow week on one of the writer sites or, um, you know, in addition to sometimes I'll have slumps of writing where the muse just clams right up and walks out. Um, I have a disability uh, with my eyes. I, I tore my retina in my right eye four years ago, and I tore my retina in my left eye uh, this past February. And I've had to have surgery on both of my eyes, and I have, uh, uh, I don't know what the hell they're called. They're a $40,000 rubber band called a scleral buckle <laughs> they, put on my, they put on each eye. Um, so my eyes get tired, and I have to use artificial tears, and I have to step away from the screen sometimes. I know another freelance writer that I believe is legally blind and has to use a screen reader, which is a program that reads the screen aloud to you. Um, so you know, I'm additionally hobbled by that as far as how much time I can spend or not spend on writing. Um, you got to do what's right for your lifestyle. For my husband and I, it makes more sense for me to work part-time and for him to work part-time and then me also to freelance it's a nice buffer because if an unexpected expense comes up um like uh we we had some pet issues and you know god bets get a lot of money i'm in the wrong business um <laughs> i could be like oh crap we need money and right 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 and you know pull 300 dollars out of thin air and that's nice um I, I find that the balance of a, of a quote unquote real job and freelancing, I consider freelancing a real job. My father does. <laughs> no matter how many tax returns I show him, he just doesn't believe that I'm making money. Um, but it's, you can definitely make a full time income on freelancing, especially if it comes naturally to you. If you have to struggle for every word, it's probably not going to be the kind of thing that you can do full time. But if you could, you know, describe the lamp that's right next to you with, you know, in 50 words without repeating yourself, you might be cut out for this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Well, I think I saw a statistic recently somewhere saying that in a, in, I don't know, maybe 10 years, like 50% of the American workforce would be freelancers or something like that. Um, so it just seems like something that's moving, getting bigger. You know, and I, and I, I think I saw the same thing that there's a, there's actually a, a freelance union out of uh, uh, New York, and they, they have their own healthcare plan. It's really cool. I've, I've been a member for a couple of years now. Um, it, I don't know if that's necessarily that all of a sudden all of these millennials and Generation Y are suddenly like, oh my God, I'm so creative. I can do all of these things. I'm going to own my own business. And more of, hey, we're going to get this one person who's already working at our retail store to do the job before. Goodbye now. And you're like, oh crap, what do I do now? Nobody's hiring. Um, it, it's It's a very discouraging uh, employment climate. You know, my husband is a Navy veteran and uh, he's 34 now. I think he was 32 at the time. And they called him back for four different interviews at Lowe's Hardware. Four different interviews for a part time minimum wage job. And they made him pee in a cup, which he passed. And then they didn't hire him. And he and his he's got no record or anything weird like that. But that's what young folks now, like between, I'd say, like, 20 to 30 even um that's the kind of employment climate they're facing and i think increasingly that they're getting fed up with it they're like no god damn it i i deserve dignity in in working 
And, you know, people define dignity differently. Some people define dignity as a living wage and some people define dignity as being able to work without pants. I am in the latter category. <laughs> um, you know, it, it's, it's exhilarating. It's the idea that, you know, hey, I can get out there. It's, it's that feeling that we had in the early 90s of the, the whole dot-com boom when, you know, it's like anything could happen and, you know, Amazon was getting founded and eBay was getting founded and it's that, that wave of innovation and it's kind of lifting everybody and you got uh, freelancers like me because you, you come across something good. It's like, you know, I look at seagulls. I, I grew up on the, in Cape May in New Jersey. Um, you look at seagulls and one of them gets something and you think, well, if he would just shut up, he could eat the whole thing. <laughs> but, you know, they get something and they're, ah, 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 and all the other seagulls come around. But, you know, it, it, you want to spread good out. You know, I found something good. I'm making decent money. And I have a lot of friends that are totally discouraged and they're getting worked to death. And they're, you know, not even old enough to buy liquor. And they're getting worked to death at these jobs for nothing. And I said, why don't you come home with me and I'll show you how to do this and describe products for a living and talk about you know, dildos and vibrators and people will give you money. And I think there's a big spread of that too. It's it's a combination of dissatisfaction with the employment environment and the realization that they, they can, you know, kind of control their own de destiny, you know, manifest destiny by doing something like this. And almost everybody's got something that they're good at. And the freelance market, the barter market is becoming more accepted. It's not this crazy, weird hippie thing off to the left side anymore. It's, you know, that's where people look when they need stuff done. I, uh, I work for a very large nationwide clothing company that I don't necessarily want to mention, but, um, that's where I work three days a week. And, um, Almost half of our creative department is freelancers. And they bring them in to do copy. They bring them in to do Photoshopping. They bring them in to take pictures. They bring them in to, you know, create samples for clothing. Uh, you know, and, and the other half of the department, I swear, is run by interns. I mean, I'm sure you know. <laughs> and there's, there's also a movement of, uh, you know, and I'm sure you've seen if you read the same publications of, interns getting fed up with doing free work and and they're kind of putting their foot down and saying well what am i getting out of this you say that you're giving me experience and obviously your your experience is probably different but you know i i grew up in the new york new jersey area and oh man does new york use the heck out of interns and they just you know they have them running to get coffee and getting the paper and picking up dry cleaning and they're not learning anything about the industry that they're interning in and it, all of that combined is making people go, hey, there's got to be something better. And a lot of people are finding that freelancing is that something better. So I suppose in combination with that and just like the explosion of content marketing, you hear content is king. I just went to inbound with the team like last fall or whatever. So obviously there was a lot of discussion about where things were headed. But as someone who's really pitted in the content side of what's happening, where do you say see things going in the next few years? Um, I can only think that it's going to get bigger because, you know, Google's search algorithms are, you know, they're, they're working into building in images, you know, using images to kind of navigate. You know, you got the Google, Google glass, which is, as I, as I understand it, kind of on the down low now, <laughs> not doing so well, but content is how Google is indexing everything. We you know, the things that I create are the Dewey Decimal System of the web world. 
And, you know, if you take a card catalog, well, a card catalog, God, I'm showing my age. If you take the index out of a book and somebody needs to find something really quickly, you know, are they going to page through 500 pages? No, they're going to ask somebody or they're going to find a new book. And without content, it's like somebody ripped the index out of a textbook. You you have no idea how to find anything except for reading everything. And and honestly, nobody's going to read everything. Our attention span is down to like 2.3 milliseconds and it's like bordering one and a half if you get a toddler. Um, you know, nobody wants to spend that time because we've been spoiled by Google. Google kind of, they made their own bed. They can't help but continue to use content and encourage content, encourage new content creation because that's how their whole infrastructure is built. Without content, they have no way of indexing things. Yeah, exactly. And actually that kind of um, connection is something that we were talking about in my electronic publishing class, Mm -hmm. which is um, information overload. Yeah. And how <laughs> our brains are just shot to shit, basically, because yeah. we can't focus yeah. on anything anymore because we're just bombarded with social media and the quick headlines. Um, do you ever find that you're encountering problems with information overload? And I guess, how do you combat that when time is so of the essence as a freelancer? I have learned, um, obviously, you know, we, we never plagiarize. That's like, you know, golden rule etched into the stone tablet of freelancedom. Um, but say I have to do a, you know, top 10 list of things that Lindsay Lohan has screwed up, you know, (laughs) um, what I, what I'll typically do is I'll pull open anywhere from three to four articles and I won't read all the way through them, you know, unless it's something that obviously I need to know, like how to do a nuclear reactor, you know, how to build one in your backyard. You know, you want to get to the end and realize what the last step is, because if you screw that up, it's kind of a big deal. Um, but, you know, the top 10 things that Lindsay Lohan has screwed up, I'll pull open four different articles and, you know, everything is list. I don't, I don't know what BuzzFeed did to the world, but everything is list now. Um, and I'll pull two from the first one. I'll pull number seven from the third one. I'll pull four from the second one. And I'll cobble together a list that doesn't follow the up and down format of any of the other lists. The facts are still true, but I create a new list out of that. Um, a lot of content is just kind of rehashing what other people said, but you want to make it better, clearer, and different. And um, if it's something that I know about, like something that's not totally alien to me, most of the jobs I take, I take because I know something about them. Uh, it's very rare that I'll take a, a article, you know, an instructional article, more than a product description, uh, of something that I know absolutely nothing about. Um, but... You know, I'll take little bits and pieces from other people. I, if I tried to read everything, I think my my eyes would melt. Um, it sounds like they already have. Yeah, they kind of did. <laughs> I'm a cyborg. That's not um, from that's not from having to look at the screen so long, is it? Um, is as much oh. as I'd like to say that ah, oh, I work so hard. In reality, my eyes suck. They've always sucked since I was a child, and uh, I really liked World of Warcraft for a while. <laughs> Oh, that'll do it. <laughs> that'll do it. Um, so the combination of everything. But I've been glued to one screen or another since I was a kid. So, like, my I was just visiting my mother this past weekend, and she's she was a young mother. So I mean, my mom's not that old. Um, she's she's got like an i i I managed to convince her to get rid of the evil iPhone because I'm an Android girl. Um, but she's struggling. I see. I, I tell her, I'm like, Mom, just do this, just do that, and it's so easy for me. 
because I'm so used to just like living in the internet, like I'm practically like minority report with that screen with the pinch and zoom and, you know, and, and my mom's like, I'm like, just go to YouTube mom. She's like, but where's the app? And it's, <laughs> you know, she doesn't know how to check her email, even though I've like practically all the gun to her head to get Gmail. Um, you know, I forget that this comes very naturally to me because of the way my brain is wired. Um, but I, I get, sometimes I just have to get up and walk away from the computer. I'm just like, I, I can't, I can't anymore. And, you know, like I'm looking at my, my Firefox screen now as I'm talking to you and I have Skype, I have Gmail, I have Facebook, I have three different content sites. I have Facebook, I have, you know, Google calendar and, you know, I have little, I, you know, 12 icons at the bottom of my screen. My, my homepage is like 8 billion little icons of unfinished drafts of work and this and that. And it, it's easy to get lost in it. it I, honestly, if Google were to pull Gmail tomorrow, I'm pretty sure I would have a nervous breakdown. Like I, everything is organized in there. If it wasn't for Google, I don't know what I'd do. <laughs> We're a symbiotic relationship. I'm sort of like the little remore on the side of the shark. I'm like, <laughs> I will get rid of the algae. Just don't let me go. And, um, you know, it's it's very easy to get way too entrenched in this. I have to get up and, like, pace the house, like, walk away, go get a cup of tea, go cuddle with my cat, something. Because, it, it, it you know, it's like working next to a nuclear reactor. I need to wear a badge that says, hey, you're getting too much radiation in your face, you know, and... I have to walk away because I, otherwise my brain keeps spinning at night when I go to bed and I just, you know, dental stuff, plumbing stuff, and I don't need to know this. I'm done with it. Um, you can you can overdose on information, absolutely, um, but you have to – you tend to learn how to take precautions as a freelancer. Mm-hmm. And are there any tools that you sort of rely on to help you with that workflow? Oh, yeah, all the time. So many. <laughs> um, uh, I have learned – not to write in Microsoft Word ever after losing, you know, an ebook once. Um, Microsoft Word is a terrible trader that doesn't autosave, apparently. Uh, I write on Google Docs because Google Docs autosaves like every, you know, millionth of a second. It's awesome. Um, I use uh, wordcounter.net, uh, and that's something where, uh, like, say, writer access, uh, most of the good, reputable, middlemen sites, the list sites will have word counters built into their writing thing and auto savers. So you can be right on their page and write for the client. And not only is it keeping track of how many words as you go along, it's also auto saving. So, so something terrible happens like your terrible, awful cat runs across the cord. Um, not that that's ever happened to me. Uh, traitorous wretch. Um, it's auto-saved on there, and you could just panic and open your laptop, and it's there still. Um, save everything through an online thing that auto-saves, regardless of where it is. Uh, the word counter helps. Um, honestly, Facebook kind of helps, because it, it, it can help and hurt. Uh, if you play Candy Crush, stay off of Facebook. Um, but if you manage to dodge that particular you know horrible crack of a game, then it, you should be okay. Because... Um, it kind of breaks up your mental rhythm. Like if you're like, well, uh, I don't know what I, you know, what kind of things would I do if my toilet started overflowing? Would I panic? What would be damaged? And my, my friends have gotten used to just the most random questions. I'll be like, does anybody know how to fix a pole in a sweater? And, and people are like, it's July. And I'm like, I know this content is for next winter, you know? 
and you know to kind of complain like god if i ever have to write about another candle it, it it gives you a support base and it gives you a knowledge base because that's what it is it's hooking up your friends and you know twitter is really great for stuff on the fly if you're like i don't know what to write about or i have no idea about this or you know how many cups are in a quart you know, yes, you could Google, but it's actually faster to ask Twitter, and and it li- they lie sometimes. So you have to go with like the larger section. You know, somebody will be like, "Oh, there's 47 cups," just because they're a troll. But you know, there'll be 10 other people that'll answer the same thing. You'd be like, "That's probably the right answer." But if you you know, if you need to know who won the you know men's 500 meter dash in you know Oslo Olympics, you know they you just ask, and somebody somewhere is sitting at home bored and they're like, Oh, whatever I'll do intensive internet research for this person. I don't know. Um, you know, so it, it, it helps to be connected. Uh, you just have to leverage it against getting distracted. <laughs> that is a very difficult dance to dance. Yes. Yes. Um, so on like kind of the note of social media too, do you find that the freelance writer community online is pretty thriving. I know that at writer access, we have the forums and stuff, but even outside of writer access, are people kind of connected to each other? Are they supportive or do you just feel like you're all competing? Um, if, if freelancing is a high school, the websites that we freelance on are the tables at the lunchroom. Um, you know, every site, all the sites people tend to kind of pack up and click together. Um, sometimes there'll be a couple of people that wander from site to site and um, things are changing a little bit because for a very long time, most of the sites and, and they kind of still do writer access is very progressive, but um, like text broker, the now defunct media piston, um, it was like, like, you know, crazy the way they controlled what we could and could talk about. Like if you, if you mentioned a competing site, it happened to me on media Piston before it got uh, canned. Um, they, they shuttered very abruptly. It, it left a lot of us kind of like, wow. Um, I mentioned to a person that had been struggling to uh, media piston had like no work. And I mentioned to him, Hey, I've also been writing on this site, but I did it in like a private message. It wasn't like I was trying to like pull people away or whatever. Um, and my whole account got shut down with like a couple hundred dollars in it and they weren't going to pay me. And I wrote that. I was like, you guys can't do this. And they're, they're very like crazy about preserving their own. They don't want writers to go anywhere. You're not allowed to have to pretend that nothing else exists except the site. Um, which is no way, you know, you treat your people like children and they're going to respond like children. They don't, they don't want to be, you know, locked down like that. We're freelancers, you know, free is in the name, you know, we don't, we don't respond well to censorship. Um, but, uh, we do tend to click up on the sites that we're on because it's a shared experience. So we know that, you know, okay, well this, you know, article about bugs is, is on the board. Uh, I know David's really into bugs. I am not. I tend to step on them. I'm going to message David and tell him that there's a, you know, it's, it's a very odd, uh, community. The vast majority of freelancers are very giving people. We would rather, you know, have five $20 articles that we could spread to other people than steal $100 article for ourselves. Most people, if you gave them that choice, they'd say, well, send the four other articles out to my friends and I'll take this one because we all want to see each other succeed. We know, um, there's a wonderful gal whose daughter is going through chemo right now. Um, and we did a, uh, somebody posted a fundraiser and a lot of us donated to the fundraiser through that. 
I ran a uh, secret Santa on the writer access uh, forums uh, this past Christmas. Um, oh, I remember that. You know, everyone in the office was talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, like um, we all uh, there's there's a small subgroup of writers that. Uh, We've gotten together, uh, you know, for instance, I, I can't take credit because I, I came in on the tail end of this. Um, y- you had mentioned that, you know, in your bio that you were a temp or, or sorry, uh, an intern lo- looking for <laughs> yeah. a trash can, you know, but trying, <laughs> trying to get my own trash can. So a bunch of uh, folks in the little group banded together and they sent you a trash can. You know, that that's the kind of stuff that we do um, as a group. We, we're, we tend to be mischievous and... Um, you know, we we're giving folks. I, I'd like to think that most of the freelancers that I know are extremely giving, extremely open, wonderful people, and um, collectively we are an awesome force, and we can get a lot done if we're treated with respect and we're and there's transparency with the upper management with the sites. Incredible things happen. The the bad stuff tends to happen like any you know like when a retail chain's starting to close down and they start to micromanage everything and like watch the closed circuit camera you you know how it goes that that cycle of shutting down um, if a website gets to that point and they start kind of like micromanaging the writers it, the, the writers don't respond well I saw it happen on Media Piston there was a big lashback and um, a lot of the veteran writers left. Before even before the site closed down, and the quality took a nosedive. It, you know, it, as long as we are treated with respect and we feel welcome, we'll do wonderful things for a site. Um, but in the absence of unions or traditional employment structure, that kind of community, that grouping, is our main leveraging point for getting a site to pay us a fair wage and not deck us around. Um, they know that we all talk, uh, you know, we do, there is a Facebook group, there is a Twitter group, you know, several in fact, and, um, you know, we'll, we'll message each other in the wee hours of the evening and be like, oh, what are you working on at three in the morning, you know? And if something goes wrong or somebody's treated poorly, the word gets around about clients. Let me tell you, there's a couple of clients on writer access that are going to have a real hard time finding anybody to write for them. Um, and, uh, you know, the, there's also really good clients and the word gets around and all their stuff gets picked up like instantaneously. Um, there was one uh, client on there. Obviously I'm not going to name names or, you know, cause that's a confidentiality agreement. Um, there was one writer on writer or writer, listen to me, one uh, client on writer access that I knew from media piston um, because the same site was referenced and he, his name was the same. And I had written for him extensively on, media piston tons and tons and tons of stuff before they shuttered and i wondered where the hell he got to um he had asked me he had asked the admins of the site to kind of act as a go-between to get my home address to him not for nefarious purposes but because i was a really good writer and always gave him good stuff and he heard i was getting married and it shocked the hell out of me he sent me a chest freezer (laughs) A what? A chest freezer. I, I got back. He knew I was a couponer and he knew that I got a lot of frozen stuff and my freezer was like crazy. Um, and I got back from the courthouse and I'm like still holding my bouquet and my husband's there. And there's just this Sears guy with this, you know, dolly in the front yard. I was like, is that a body? What is he bringing us? And and I thought my mom got us a chest freezer. I'm looking at the thing and I was like, oh, my God. And he goes, what? I said, my client just bought me a $300 chest freezer. So um, when I saw him on Writer Access like a year later, 
I, I went on, I immediately went on the forums. I was like, this guy is the best client ever. Take all of his stuff and be really good to him. You know, word gets around uh, and we're not afraid to kind of spread the word. Well, I think that's super awesome and comforting. I always love to hear about how the writers are connecting with each other. I find that very inspirational. Um, I guess, do you have any closing remarks for a class of young folks who are trying to like find their own place in the digital publishing world? It's. I remember the feeling of being in college, and I, I felt like the whole world was in front of me, and it was just a really cool feeling. And what I would say to a bunch of folks that were back where I was then is that feeling that you have right now that, you know, you're going to learn your class, you're going to do your stuff, you're going to get your degree. And, you know, you have this whole open world in front of you. Never, ever lose that. If you ever feel like, Oh God, this is it. I'm going to be here until I die uproot and go do something because I've been there. I wasted seven years of my life. just kind of circle in the drain and I could have used it so much better. Um, just if you ever feel stagnated, if you ever feel like, you know, your world's gone to black and white instead of color, move. Do something else. Get something. Get a handful of glitter and throw it on yourself. Do do whatever you have to do to break yourself out of that rut. Um, you know, and, and and don't ever get pessimistic or negative or, you know, about your life as a whole, especially creatively, because there, if there's anything the muse hates, it's stagnation. You know, make sure you're you're staying moving. You know, dodge and weave, dodge and weave. <laughs> keep keep it going. Keep interested. And if it doesn't make you happy, stop doing it. Because if it, the day that the writing doesn't fill me with that exhilarated, you know, oh boy, what am I going to write next? Is the day I'm going to go find something else to do. Because life's too damn short. <laughs> so true. Uh, I feel inspired now. Thank you so much for that. I'm sorry. You might want to take a shower. I don't know. <laughs> Get the, get that off of you quick. I might you know might scar. And if anyone has any questions, or I don't I don't know, maybe someone would want to reach out to you and ask what freelance writing is like. How can they contact you, or where can we find your work? Um, I uh, I run a site. My my professional site is that word chick. Uh, that word chick dot com and then uh, my my you know come into freelance writing the water's fine site is a uh, freelance writer guide dot com all right thank you so much this has been lewis rowe hosting the podcast join us next week for another interview so thank you and good night this has been the podcast Find more episodes, read our blog, or send feedback by visiting us on the web at www.thepubcast.org.